Take some, take some, take some time off. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to Take Some Time Off with me, your host, Maeve. I am an educator, a yoga teacher, and a wellness advocate who recently quit her job in New York City and moved across the country to Salt Lake City, Utah to take some time off. This podcast explores what it means to use my time productively and offers weekly suggestions for mindful and meaningful uses of your time, too. Stay tuned. So last time we talked, we were starting to work through comparison and problems with comparing ourselves to others, whether in real life or on the internet. And one solution, one idea that I've been working on is practicing abundance, realizing that there's more than enough to go around so I can succeed and you can succeed. So I can have this and you can have it too. And practicing acknowledging all of the amazing things that we already have so that we don't feel a lack that causes us to compare or criticize others. So if you feel like you've kind of got that down and you're ready for part two, then let's move on. Today we're going to talk about dealing with comparison through compersion. Very interesting word, compersion. So we're going to talk through what that is, some of the roots of compersion, and then some really practical tips for how you can practice compersion in your own life. Stay tuned. So compersion is actually a term that stems from polyamory. Polyamory, if you're not aware, is um, a type of sexual practice, sexual preference, where um, you choose to have multiple consensual partners, um, perhaps a primary partner and then secondary partners or any kind of arrangement within that and everyone is on board Um, and there's lots of cool info about polyamory if it's something you're interested in but that's where the word comes from compersion compersion means to feel authentic genuine joy for someone else to feel deeply the sense of joy not uh, intellectually not just intellectually but physically emotionally spiritually to feel a deep sense of joy for someone else that you care about. So you can understand how that might play into polyamory. If your partner goes on a really exciting date and they come back and tell you about it and they're all lit up and excited and then that makes you happy and excited and lit up too, that's compersion. Um, But this practice can relate to you in tons of ways, even if you're not trying to open up your relationship, Um, and actually stems way, way back. Um, The idea of having a deep, authentic joy for someone else has been a part of a lot of religious practices since like the beginning of time. Um, I'm going to start with part of a prayer. I often have a hard time connecting 
my Christian background with my current spiritual faith um, because of sort of the stigmas that I have, the kind of blockage blockage that I have built up um, around my faith growing up um, as a Catholic. But it's always really nice when I do find something that relates to me personally now. And one of those things is the prayer of St. Francis. Um, it's a really beautiful prayer. St. Francis was a really loving and kind man. He especially took care of the sick and the poor and animals, which is really neat. So this prayer, um, not named the prayer of St. Francis, is one that I remember saying a lot growing up and like reciting and memorizing in school, singing in mass. And if you're a Christian or Catholic, you might uh, know what I'm talking about instantly. But there's a portion here that sort of gives a really good look at some of why compersion makes a lot of sense and why um, it's something that we should all kind of strive for every day. So this part says, O Divine Master, grant that I, might, I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. So we think that one thing that this prayer speaks to is that kindness is actually in our own self-interest, right? If we can love and care for others, not only does it add to the greater sum good of the world, but it also helps us to feel calm and free and loved as well. And, um, one easy example, like when we go back to like scrolling through the internet and looking at pictures of people and criticizing and comparing yourself, like, do you feel good afterwards? No, you don't. Right. And what would it feel like instead of looking at a picture and being like, oh man, that person has it all together and like so annoying and why are they even sharing that and why am I not like that, right? Like all those horrible negative things that just like spin out of control if you're in a bad place and you're looking at pictures online. What if instead you looked at a picture and said, oh wow, she looks so happy and I am so happy that she's happy. Doesn't that feel better? Not only does it sound better, right, but um, you can imagine the kind of shift that would occur if you chose to actively pursue compersion or joy for other people instead of criticism and comparison. So in Buddhism and also in the writings of Patanjali, um, who wrote the Yoga Sutras, which uh, a lot of modern yoga is based off of, um, this is actually a concept as well, and it is called in Sanskrit mundita. Mundita is translated to something like sympathetic joy, sympathetic joy. So it's kind of an interesting phrase. I actually love it, the idea of sympathetic joy, because when we think about sympathy, we think about like feeling bad when someone else is having a hard time. And I think most of us are pretty good at practicing sympathy, um, at imagining what that might feel like and feeling those emotions too and really wishing the other person well, wishing that things were different for them. 
sympathetic joy is recognizing the great things that are going on for someone else and genuinely imagining that and feeling good about it. So a couple of years ago, I lived in Korea and I was really excited going there because I was already practicing Buddhism and becoming more and more interested in Buddhism. I wanted to take a lot of time while I was there to study more and learn more. So within the first month, I went with the cohort that I was affiliated with to a temple to do um, a two-night temple stay. So you'd stay at a Buddhist temple and do a lot of like traditional Buddhist practices and meditation and hear some Dharma talks. And I ended up doing several throughout my time there and they were all incredible um, and such amazing opportunities. But this first one, I remember really distinctly because we did an activity during it. And the activity was to blindfold ourselves and then tie ourselves together and walk through a stone-ridden path. (laughs) Um, So the first person in line had no blindfold and then everyone else was attached to them and they had to lead us through a path. And the monk said afterwards, and it was like a fun, silly little thing. Um, but the monk said something afterwards that I honestly probably repeat to myself several times a week. She said, we are all different shapes of each other. We are all different shapes of each other. And besides being like beautifully poetic and profound, I think that there's a lot of real practical thoughts to that. Like we are all in constant connection and constant cooperation with each other whether you know it or not um there is a philosopher emmanuel levinas who wrote about the intense amount of trust that we give each other just when we pass someone on the street and they don't like stab us in the throat right like every day when we go on a subway train or when we interact with uh, someone at the grocery store or when we apply to a job, we are already doing so many things that put us in relationship with all those around us in a trusting and loving relationship with those around us, even people we don't know. So when you think about that concept of us all being different shapes of each other and seeing ourselves and everyone that we know, then that might be an easier way to access a feeling of sympathetic joy, realizing that whether you helped this person very directly, if you were a friend and you gave them emotional support that led them to feel better about themselves, to go get a new job, or it's someone that a stranger that you don't know at all, you still can work to see yourselves in them, see all the ways that we are working together all the time and um, all the ways that they are the same as you. And then from that place, it might be easier to imagine their joy and feel some of it for yourself. And then sympathetic joy or mundita. And here comes the part of the show, which I believe should be called the 
hashtag stay woke segment (laughs) Um, because it seems like whenever we're talking about self-care, there's an aspect of social injustice that leads to us usually feeling worse about who we are. Um, And this time, patriarchy is the culprit as it so often is. Um, So one reason why it can be hard to feel good for someone else, especially as a woman feeling good for other women, is because we're trained not to do that as women in society. Girls are raised with this underlying societal expectation to be perfect or as close to absolutely perfect as possible. That's why our photos as they are aren't good enough for magazines. They have to be edited. Our voices are often not appropriate for whatever setting we're in. We're expected to handle our emotions in ways that are different than men. We're expected to do emotional labor for everybody. Um, And we're supposed to do it all so well and that can that kind of stress can be really hard to bear there is an article called the patriarchal arena the competition between women that destroys the feminist movement from within and i just wanted to read one excerpt there about how perfectionism or this expectation of perfection can cause a lot of insecurities in women So the author kind of outlines some of the ways that women are struggling to meet societal expectations that are often conflicting and confusing. She writes, Women are told to give complete attention to their appearance to validate their self-worth, but if they care too much, they are seen as vain and narcissistic instead of confident and powerful. Women are seen as prudish and boring for not talking to any men, but labeled as irresponsible and many other vulgar words for talking to too many. A woman is expected to fight her way to the top of the chain at work, and if she's too friendly, she's disregarded. But if she's too strong-willed, she's labeled bossy or bitchy. So if you are a woman listening to this or in any way gender nonconforming, this probably resonates with you, the expectations and the pressures that society puts on us are really hard to bear. So it sort of makes sense that um, those insecurities, that pressure, makes it hard for us to see another woman succeeding and feel completely happy for her. Um, And that is exactly what the man in capital letters wants us to feel. Um, There is a book called The Beauty Myth by... Naomi Wolf. Um, I have not read it in its entirety, but thankfully my best friend in the whole world, Grace Galloway, has. And the underlying point of the book, the thesis that um, Naomi Wolf puts forward is that if women were not being told that they were so flawed and needed to do so many things to achieve love to find love and success and happiness then they would be too big of a force to reckon with so patriarchy finds lots of different ways to hold women down really strictly through obsession over their weight over their physical appearance over their acne or lack thereof over their voices over their behaviors over their sex life right there's millions of ways and All of those things 
occupy women and distract women from the the realities of what are happening, which is that men are achieving power and wealth and um, decision-making in all of these arenas because they have such an easier way at it, an easier go at it. So uh, there's a quote from the book that I would like to read. And this is, again, from The Beauty Myth. And Naomi Wolf writes, A consequence of female self-love is that the woman grows convinced of social worth. Her love for her body will be unqualified, which is the basis of female identification. If a woman loves her own body, she doesn't grudge what other women do with theirs. If she loves femaleness, she champions its rights. It's true what they say about women. Women are insatiable. We are greedy. Our appetites do need to be controlled if things are to stay in place. If the world were ours too, if we believed we could get away with it, we would ask for more love, more sex, more money, more commitment to children, more food, more care. These sexual, emotional, and physical demands would begin to extend to social demands, payment for the care of elderly, parental leave, child care, etc. The force of female desire would be so great, the society would truly have to reckon with what women want in bed and in the world. Ooh, and I just got chills. Um, so... To conclude this segment of the podcast, think about the ways that your criticism of women, if what no matter what gender you identify as, adds to the patriarchal systems that hold us all as a society back. And think about the ways that you, supporting other women, can change the structure in place can challenge the status quo and hopefully make the world a little bit okay and now that you are convinced that the world would truly be a better place if you could practice compersion the art of feeling sympathetic joy joy for someone else and all of their accomplishments and in their life as it is then let's figure out how to do it So the first tip that I have may seem a bit counter-effective, but it's not. Um, it's to acknowledge your feelings. So acknowledge that you can also feel both, right? You can feel joy, sincere joy for someone else, and a bit of pain or insecurity at knowing that you aren't where they are now. Um, so take a minute when you notice that you're going down a path of comparison to acknowledge that you feel that way and to accept that in the moment. Um, Dr. Carrie Schofield, who's a PhD and the co-founder and chief of psychometrics at Good & Co., writes, if we are self-aware, we can accept that feeling negative emotions like jealousy is perfectly normal. We can focus on acting in accordance with our deeper values, what we just talked about, right? Regardless of passing thoughts and feelings. Not only is ambivalence not necessarily unhealthy, there's even evidence that can be beneficial if we focus on it the right way. So if we acknowledge that we can have two feelings at once and then decide which ones we want to act on, that's an excellent place to start. And I think one that would also build your own sense of 
self-confidence and self-worth up too, which can only lead to good things. So another way, tip number two, another way to practice sympathetic joy is to take a step back and at first just start to practice joy. Um, I know that that is something that I have to prioritize because as adults, I think compared to like the kids that I work with, for example, um, we aren't accustomed to prioritizing joy throughout our day. It is always so amazing to me when I watch the kids that I um, babysit and I see that they, I mean, they just go throughout their days laughing and playing, like always seeking to have fun and make games out of things. And that is so different than the way that adults are told to act. So we have to make more of an effort to find joy in our day-to-day lives, but that does not mean that it's not there. Um, So try to make, one way to do this is through gratitude, which we've talked about, but also just to have the, set the intention to notice and value joy throughout your day. Um, Thich Nhat Hanh uses the example of the non-toothache. So he writes, it's so sweet. Thich Nhat Hanh's my favorite. He's such a cutie. He writes, if we are not aware that we are happy, we are not really happy. When we have a toothache, We know that not having a toothache is a wonderful thing, but when we do not have a toothache, we are still not happy. A toothache is very pleasant, is a non-toothache is very pleasant. There are so many things that are not enjoyable, but when we don't practice mindfulness, we don't appreciate them. When we practice mindfulness, we come to cherish these things and we learn how to protect them. So if you haven't read anything by Thich Nhat Hanh, go get anything he's written you are here is an amazing book he's a, a buddhist monk but um this idea that there are millions of things happening throughout the day that we could be happy about that could make us happy but we often neglect them and we'd rather focus on the things that are saliently wrong with our life um so we focus on the toothache not the non-toothache um so make uh, an effort to prioritize joy, to find the non-toothaches of your life, whether it's a nice commute to work or music that you love to hear or the laughter of your friends and family. There's tons of things to add joy to your day. Tip number three is one that I think makes a ton of sense. If you want to stop comparing yourself and criticizing others, then the first thing you need to do is stop criticizing yourself. I remember a yoga teacher one time saying in class, like, if you are self-critical, then you're someone who's probably likely very critical of others as well. And I remember hearing that and being like, well, (laughs) I know I'm really hard on myself. I know that because people tell me that all the time, but I'm definitely not critical of others. Uh, If anything, I'm like very kind to other people and whatever. And then the more I thought about it, the more I realized that though, although, yeah, I do try to make, like, I value kindness and generosity and I do try to be kind to other people, my initial thoughts are often very critical of others. And when I sit with that, I can see the ways that it's just like an effort to kind of take everyone down a notch if I am treating myself that way, right? Like if you are going to constantly harp on what's wrong with yourself, then you definitely are going to do that about other people because then it makes you feel a little less bad. So if you really want to practice 
sympathetic joy towards others, the first thing you need to do is stop criticizing yourself. Um, the In Teachings of Love, um, which is also Thich Nhat Hanh, um, he writes about mundita, this idea of sympathetic joy, and he says a, diff- a deeper definition of the word mundita is a joy that is filled with peace and contentment. We rejoice when we see others happy, but we rejoice in our own being as well. How can we feel joy for another person when we do not feel joy for ourselves? And the sad part is that feeling joy for ourselves is often the hardest thing to do. So there are tons of ways that you can work on ending this cycle of criticizing yourself and then criticizing others. But I think some ones that have been effective in my life are meditation, journaling, recognizing the thoughts as they come. It can be as simple as that, as well as doing things that you love that give you lots of confidence and a sense of calm and ease. Um, And I think another tip in that direction is to look at other people's achievements and successes as something to be inspired by. Let it fill you up. Let it excite you and empower you and to work towards those things and not something that needs to tear you or them down. Okay, and the last uh, suggestion that I have is a very, very practical one. Um, I would suggest that you practice a very specific type of meditation if you're wanting to work on sympathetic joy compersion. Um, And that type of meditation is called a loving kindness meditation or a metta meditation. I know I've talked about it in another episode. It's because it is something that is literally transformed the way that I think. Um, And you can practice this meditation on your own. You can use a guided one. If you just like Google metta or loving kindness meditation, a million trillion things will come up. It's an ancient Um, practice. But the idea in loving kindness meditation is that you send this genuine warmth, this genuine love for others out into the world. And then you also send it to yourself. And once you get good at it, and I'm sometimes good at it, sometimes not. Once you get good at it though, you can actually feel this like warmth and love that you're generating in your body. And it's such an incredible experience. So the way that you practice a loving kindness meditation is you sit down, you put a smile on your face and you close your eyes. And then from there, you'll repeat these three phrases and extend them out to everyone that you know. So the three phrases are, may all beings be happy. May all beings be safe may all beings be free. So you use that mantra and you start by extending it to those that you love and then you extend it out towards people that you know and maybe don't have any real feelings about to everyone in your city, to everyone in your country, out to everyone in the world and then eventually you end up sending those feelings back towards yourself. You practice saying, may I be happy, may I be safe, may I be free. Um, I believe that I've even led a loving kindness meditation here at some point, but, and if so, I will link it below. And if not, um, maybe that's something coming up, but loving kindness is definitely the way to go. And when I, and like feeling kind of blah and it's not really one particular thing I can plant it on. I just practice loving kindness meditation because it's something that like lifts me up immediately and also reminds me that I am part of like such a bigger thing than just me. So there you have it. Those are my 
four tips for practicing sympathetic joy or compersion. First, acknowledge that you're feeling a bunch of different feelings, perhaps conflicting feelings of jealousy and joy. Then work to practice more joy, to prioritize joy throughout your day, to acknowledge the non-toothache that you're having. Um, Another idea is to work on recognizing your own critical point of view. If you're critical of yourself, then you're more likely to be critical of others. And then lastly, practice compassion. You can practice compassion very, very explicitly with a loving kindness meditation, a metta meditation. I hope that you got something out of this little series we did on comparison. I hope that you are closer to feeling true joy for others and true joy for yourself. I hope that next time you get onto Instagram, you can put these things into practice by scrolling through and loving on everyone that you see. Um, by the way, you can do that for me if you want. Head to V and the City and just, you know, like all of my pictures. <laughs> um, anyway. I am really happy you're here. I feel so grateful to know that many people are listening to me talk (laughs) and I hope that you are learning something. I definitely am. Um, Interact with me online, please, at Vegan the City or um, at this Instagram page, uh, which is Take Some Time Off Podcast. And um, you can always email me and message me or whatever i would love to hear from you also if you're listening on anchor um, you can leave me a voice message right on there um i'm really excited about what we have coming up soon on the podcast in the next two weeks i'll be doing i'll be releasing an interview that i did with natalie reese of words meet walls which is a really cool instagram account and um, project that she's been working on for a few years. There's lots more to come. I'm so grateful for you. Have a lovely, lovely day. See you next time.